the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. There would always only be one spiritual father. For those of you who are adults, you have had countless teachers and professors, but you only have one father. You have had countless friends, but only one father. And he goes on and he says, it doesn't matter how many tutors you have, it doesn't change this fact. The word countless can mean literally 10,000 or just a word to indicate innumerable, countless. Paul is just saying a lot and a lot. The point is there's only one spiritual father. And so, in explaining his loving admonishment, why he is admonishing them, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of his paternal relationship and fatherly affection for them. And the means of this relationship is very important And it speaks to the word in my categorization, paternal appointee, the word appointee. Look at the end of the verse. In Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In other words, he was appointed to this role by God. It's not that God specifically came down and said, I appoint you as spiritual father. He hasn't done that to me. He hasn't done that to you. But in God's sovereignty, as you look back on it, you know that, oh, I, I was appointed as this person's spiritual father or friend or the person who did this or that, not because you were given a, a, some sort of letter or a, an acceptance email, but because in hindsight, you know, well, God was sovereign over this. He clearly had me there. And so Paul knows he was appointed by God. Why? Because it it wasn't about Paul's greatness. It wasn't about his previous standing in the Jewish world. It was through, and this is very important, it was through the power of the gospel and the agency of Jesus Christ. It was through the power of the gospel and the agency of Jesus Christ. Because he is saying he is their, he was, is their spiritual father because he preached the gospel to them and they got saved through the gospel and Jesus Christ. This is not just about apostleship or planning churches. This is the source of every conversion, every new birth, the power of God through his word. And so you put this all together. You have the Corinthian salvation through the power of the Word, the agency of Jesus Christ, and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You know, sometimes we go so far and we say, well, it's all God, it's all God, but He still uses us. He chooses 
to use us. And that speaks to everything from ministry uh, to secular elections, okay? In Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Power of the word, agency of Christ, ministry of Paul. And as important as these are, it's not enough for someone to use Scripture to teach and admonish or even to present the gospel and lead that person to salvation. It's not enough. The spiritual father must also live out the gospel and adhere to the Word of God, the violation of which leads to admonishing. In other words, he must also serve as a spiritual example. And that is our third role of the spiritual father. He is a spiritual example. A spiritual example. Look at verse 16. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Therefore, he starts with. Or, because of the fact that I am your spiritual father, I am exhorting you, literally begging or urging you, Corinthians, to copy me, Paul. The word imitator, to give you an idea of what this means, comes from the same Greek word from which is derived the English word mimic. It means to copy, to mimic someone else. A child is to mimic or to be like his parents, ideally. For the Corinthians, it's not so much in his ministry or travels or whatnot, but of course in his commitment to Christ and how he lives that out, in his spirituality. And by the way, when I said the child should mimic his parent, probably most, if not all of us, immediately thought to adults we know who have children who are not doing well, who, who are abusive, who are not walking with the Lord, who are hypocritical, who are just not good people. And so our thought is, well, no, a child shouldn't mimic his parents. And that speaks to exactly why this is so important that we need to be examples, spiritual examples. In the world of parenting, no matter what a parent says, it is ineffective without a good example to follow. In parenting, physical or spiritual, there is no place for do as I say, not as I do. There's no place for that. I remember in one of these uh, anti-smoking campaigns, they uh, staged a child actor, and he would uh, walk up to um, these adults. Uh, usually looked like people who were uh, younger adults in their 20s. And this little kid would ask for a cigarette or pull out a cigarette and start lighting it. He's like 10 years old. And of course, the adults would be like, no, 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 don't do that. You don't want to do that. And yet they themselves are smoking. And of course, the kid would say like, well, why not? You're doing it. And the point is, you can't just tell someone to do something and not be an example of it. You can't just say, do as I say, not as I do, which is so common that it's become a cliche, a common saying in our world. 
one of the most rewarding comments one of my sons can make when I explain something to them. Either it's a, it's a Bible verse or a, a biblical principle or, or even, even something about just manners. And I explain, you know, you can't do that. You know, don't, don't do this or you should do this. And one of the most rewarding things he can say to me is look at me and go, oh, is that why you do such and such? Because in that moment, I realize that he has put two and two together. And that though I fail often, I have been able to exemplify what I am now asking him to do or not do. It is in that moment he recognizes that what I am saying is also what I believe and live and I'm not just trying to teach him. And so, discipling someone involves not just teaching, but living out practically what you are teaching and what you believe. And hopefully it's circular that you are also teaching what you are living. You are living what you are teaching, and you are teaching what you are living. In Paul's day, as it is in many places today, a new believer would have very little understanding or knowledge of the Christian life. They would have to be taught, but before that, the Corinthians or any place that he had visited would have seen the Christian life exemplified in Paul. And this kind of example should be true of all Christians and especially spiritual leaders. Once in a while, I get a question. You know, I, like, I have a friend. Uh, he's just getting interested uh, in, in Christianity. And I just think, you know, our church or a lot of the churches I watch on live stream would just be too much with the expository preaching uh, and the singing of hymns. Do you know of a, of a church that is maybe more seeker-friendly? And basically what you are exemplifying for that person is that's what Christianity is. And you would never go to that church. You have condemned that church. You have tried to pull people out of that church, and yet somehow we think that we need to give people stepping stones to true Christianity. And that's just not the case. Uh, maybe there's a new believer and say, well... You know, I know they're, they're, they're living with their boyfriend, but I just want to slow it down and I don't want to be too harsh because I don't want them to, to reject Christ. It's like if they're a Christian, they can't lose their salvation. You don't ease into Christianity. You don't ease into the fullness of God's glory. It is black and white. There are no stepping stones. There are stepping stones to perfection, and holiness and full repentance in our lives, but there's no stepping stones in terms of what you teach and especially what you exemplify. And I think we get that. But you also get that hypocrisy is so prevalent and easy in our lives. And sometimes we think, you know, hypocrisy is only blatant hypocrisy. Like, you know, you, you talk about purity, but, but you're really uh, looking at pornography or having an affair or something like that. No, hypocrisy is everywhere, even in the little things. And, and I want to speak to even, even your spiritual fatherhood, maybe your discipleship of, a, of another man or another woman. 
For example, you cannot meet with a young, newly married Christian and explain the importance of communication to that young man and you yourself, your wife, has no idea that you're meeting with that man because you haven't communicated with her what you're doing today. You, you, can't, you can't say, yeah, I just, I just long to be with, with God's people. I can't wait till shelter in place is over because the church is so important and, and the government is attacking us and the government is persecuting us. And you're not even tuned in right now. You're listening to this sermon later on. There's so many little areas of hypocrisy that we see. Look, sin is inevitable. We all stumble. We all give in to temptation. We all sin. Nobody who teaches or preaches God's perfect standard is himself perfect. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about outright hypocrisy. We're talking about not living out what you believe. We're talking about do as I say, not as I do. It wasn't so with Paul. He lived his life to the fullest in a way that matched his faith and his teaching. Not perfectly. He was human. He was a sinner but not hypocritically either. And so, spiritual fathers, spiritual leaders, all Christians, you must be a loving corrector. You must be a paternal appointee, whatever your role is. It is by God's design. And thirdly, you must be a spiritual example. Finally, you need to be a consistent model. A consistent model. Look at verse 17. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. For the first time, Paul mentions Timothy coming to Corinth. We know that Timothy has not yet arrived, at least when he was writing this letter, because chapter 16, Paul talks about if or when Timothy gets there. Uh, Timothy is also someone that Paul has as his spiritual father, or that has Paul as a spiritual father, rather. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, which is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, Paul refers to Timothy as, I quote, my true child in the faith. And here, in 1 Corinthians, he refers to him as beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Again, Paul is speaking in spiritual terms. Timothy is not his biological child. We see in Philippians 2, uh, don't turn there because of the sake of time, but in Philippians 2, verses 20 through 22, he says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He's talking about Timothy. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So if there was anyone who was a model child who imitates his spiritual father, it was Timothy. And in fact, he is so much like Paul that he is sent by Paul to the Corinthians to be a model for them. Unlike the Corinthians, Timothy is not practicing 
or even accepting of gross sin. And as a representative of Paul, Timothy will be present in his stead. In other words, Timothy represents Paul as if Paul was there himself. And this is how the Corinthians are to treat him. The point of all this is that Timothy is to remind the Corinthians of how they are to live. That is, how Paul lives and what Paul teaches. It's not that the Corinthians will be learning these things from Timothy for the first time, but this is a reminder as we see in the verse. Clearly, the Corinthians have forgotten Paul's teachings, if not intellectually, then at least practically as evidenced by their behavior. And the end of the verse tells us that what Timothy will exemplify to the Corinthians and for the Corinthians is nothing new, it's nothing unique. There isn't anything that Paul taught Timothy in regards to doctrine and Christian living that he did not teach the Corinthians. In fact, Paul makes it clear that he has taught these same things, quote, everywhere in every church. And what he teaches and has taught the Corinthians is generalized in the verse as my ways which are in Christ. The NIV says, my ways of life. And this would entail both teaching and behavior that he has exemplified, which are, of course, rooted in his union with Jesus Christ. And that's why he can set himself up as an example. Clearly, he only wants them to follow his doctrinal teaching and his Christian living, not his sin. His repentance from sin, yes. His confession of sin, yes, but not his sin. And even not even his particular ministry of of going around from church to church. The Corinthians have their ministry where they are at. And we, we get this, right? You understand what he's saying. Not one of his teachings strays from Christ. And so, no matter what epistle, no matter what sermon, And even if you were one of his friends and alive and present at that time, no matter what conversation or act, Paul would be consistent wherever he was, in the church, in the synagogue, on the road, even in prison. To put it simply, Paul does what he says, and he says what he does. He is a consistent model in life and doctrine. For us, there's a danger of inconsistency that is to be expected because of sin, because of life. But the inconsistency can be far greater when you compartmentalize your life, which is often a result of sin. Let me explain. If you act differently at work than at home, and I'm not just talking about a professionalism or how you dress, you know what I'm talking about. If you are different at work than you are at home, it can be a symptom of the fear of man. It can be a symptom of the love of money. How you behave or what kind of places you visit may differ at home 
than when you are on a vacation or business trip. No, I'm not talking about museums. You know what I'm talking about. The inappropriate, sinful types of restaurants, clubs, massage parlors. If there are different types of places where at home and with your kids and you might run into a Christian, you won't go near certain things. You won't even go to the gym when you know it's full. You won't go to the public pool or the beach when you know all the teenagers and college girls are there. But on vacation, when there's no chance of meeting anyone you know, there's no accountability, there's total anonymity, you're compartmentalizing your life because it's an indication perhaps of legalism, hypocrisy, and it reveals, frankly, what is truly in your heart. And the same goes for the kind of pastor, disciple, spiritual father you look for or seek to be. Is his life consistent? This is why we are so shocked in this age of modern technology when we so frequently listen to and watch our favorite pastors online or read their blogs and they fall or they stumble or they're disqualified. We are shocked because you can't see their life. You can't see if they're really living what they are teaching outside of the church. And, and this, is, this is not a knock. I, I'm, not, I'm not bothered by this. I'm not offended by this. This is also why you have more respect for these men you've never met than you have for me. Because you've seen me get frustrated with my kids. You've experienced me get angry sinfully at you. But R.C. Sproul's never done that. John MacArthur's never done that. Steve Lawson's never done that. Elizabeth Elliot's never done that to you. That's just how life is. That is our sin nature. But there needs to be a consistency of what you believe and what you teach. You're never going to be perfect. But are you striving for that? Let me give you a few reasons it's so important to have this kind of consistency. First, God's unchanging character and His unchanging truth demand it. In other words, He doesn't change based on your situation or our culture. He's consistent. His commands are consistent. You need to be consistent. A second reason it's important to have this kind of consistency is it shows the power of regeneration. God's Holy Spirit is working in you. You're failing to give up. You're failing to give in. You're failing to just go back to old sins that you have already repented of, that you know you can conquer, that you're just too tired of fighting, you're too lazy, you're too envious of those who enjoy that sin. You're not showing the power of who you are and who is in you. Your consistency shows the power of regeneration in your life and to the world. Thirdly, consistency stands on God's objective truth rather than the world's subjectivity. Consistency shows that you stand on God's objective truth rather than the world's subjectivity. And so it it could be how you behave in different places. It it could be how you change your convictions by a, a, a new movement that comes up in society. 
It could even be an inconsistency at present, as I spoke earlier. Today, you're like this with your kids. Later this afternoon at work, you're like this. And then you're like this when it comes to politics. And then you're like this when it comes to, comes to something else. Right? Yes, I, yeah, 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 I know. But this matters. Yes, I know God, and I, do, I definitely would never do that in front of my kids. But he said this. It just, it's crazy. We need to be consistent. Next, consistency seeks God's glory in all places and in every situation. When you're on vacation, when you're with your kids, when you're with your kids, when you're lacking sleep and you just lost your job, and when you're with your kids and you got a good night's sleep and you just got a raise. Consistency seeks God's glory in all places and in every situation. And finally, consistency removes the opportunity for sin and hypocrisy. Because consistency does not rely on you. Consistency is not about you mustering the strength to be the same wherever you go. Consistency is rooted in the gospel. That's not you. That's Christ. Consistency is rooted in the scriptures. It's rooted in God's strength, God's ability, God's power. Now, don't think you're out of the equation. You need to do a lot. You need to pray more. You need to pray faster. You need to repent faster. You need to do it. But understand that if it's all about you, then you will never be consistent. All you're going to be is an egotistical legalist. And I've met many in my short time of ministry. Consistency removes the opportunity for sin and hypocrisy. Four roles of a spiritual father a loving corrector, a paternal pointee, a spiritual example, and a consistent model. And understand, these are things that we all need to strive to. Let's pray. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.